Hello, this is Alexander Siddig, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod, and don't tune out. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Internet, the current frontier. These are the ramblings of the podcast Neil Before Part. It's continuing mission to converse in endless drones, to seek out new topics and nerdy obsessions, to boldly go on about what many have before. Log, Supplemental, Craig McKenzie recording. Myself and Nick Cook have spent a long time talking about Star Trek The Next Generation in honour of its 30th anniversary and we still have lots of content to get through. The journey is long but entertaining and we continue on with enthusiasm. Welcome to part two. Crusher we've already touched on, although it was interesting how she was a uh, she took command a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I liked her backstory with Picard, and I liked actually one of my favorite episodes is Attached, where they almost but don't quite get hook up. Yeah, they decide not. Mm-hmm. They decide it's not in the best interests of their friendship, and... and it's actually Crusher that says no, which is interesting because Gates McFadden was apparently one of the big ones for pushing the Picard Crusher relationship. Oh, right, and then the writers made her the one to actually knock it on the head. Yeah, and then there was the. The persistent theory throughout that Wesley was actually Picard's son. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not, but it was an interesting theory. It was a bit too obvious, really. It was. But yeah, Um, I liked their backstory, and I liked Crusher. Certainly, like you say, she was a bit of a cipher in the Frost season, but certainly later on she was was a lot of fun. She was very gentle, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously she was the opposite to McCoy in that sense, you know. And the other thing, she would she would poke fun at Picard. Yeah. That was one of the things in Frost Contact that really bugged me because in Frost Contact, she's like, when the captain's made his decision, that's it. It's like, that's not Crusher. Crusher would be the one that would have been fulfilling Lily's role and telling her to get his ass together. <laughs> it's like, blow up the damn ship. That would have been Crusher telling Picard to blow yeah. up the damn ship, not somebody he yeah. just met. Either you blow up the ship or exactly. I declare you medically unfit and I'll blow up the ship. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not sure she would have said that, but she certainly, I could, you know, you could take the dialogue they gave Lily and verbatim give it to Crusher and it would have worked. Yeah. Um, You didn't need Lily. I mean, in some ways you needed Lily as, you know, that 
neutral body coming in. But for the role, for that, I mean, Crusher pretty much could have fulfilled her role. And a lot of the time, Crusher really was left out of the movies. Yeah. She was pushed aside. That could have given us something substantive to do and would have worked for the character. As a, Instead, she was acting against character by just blindly following Picard's orders. Crusher would never have done that. No. No, she was always very independent and mm-hmm. she wasn't afraid of him. She yeah. had no reason to be afraid she of him. She would have been the first one to tell him to blow up the damn ship. Yeah. And tell um, him he was being an idiot. Yeah. I think um, some of our stories were very love interest driven though as well. Not as bad as Troy, but... There was I really the... liked um, Transfigurations. I thought that was a good story for her and she was very good in it. I liked the script. Uh, and I liked it as an episode. I know it's not a hugely popular one, but it's certainly one that I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually quite liked Suspicions. I thought she was fun in that. Yeah, and the one where she's in the the warp bubble and people are oh, just oh yeah, remember her. me? Yeah, that's yeah. a fun one too. Yeah, because uh, it's interesting that one because it shows you how strong her relationship is with Picard. Because mm-hmm. she's she's sounding like a lunatic. She's like, there was this guy and he's gone, and who you know. Mm-hmm. I, I promise you he was here and Picard was and Picard believes her. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he he doesn't go down that she must be mental or she, mm-hmm. he goes down that I trust this person, let's investigate before we declare that she's mental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was it was clever. Um yeah, she had some good episodes. Uh, I like uh, I mean I'm I'm lukewarm on descent as a two parter, but I like her okay. role in that. Yeah. Uh, where she's in command of these kind of Junior officers uh, does it reasonably well. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's a good character. I even like. I like Wesley as well. Uh, I don't mind Wesley at all. I quite liked it. Certainly after season from season two onward, I liked Wesley, and he has a great um, exit from the show in um, Final Mission. Um, of course you don't. You mean Final Mission? As it is that the one in season three where four. he goes off to the academy? Four season yeah. four. Um. Yeah, because Journey's End is the one where he actually leaves. Journey's End is his exit from the show, but yeah. season f- final mission is when he leaves the show as a regular. Yeah, um, Journey's End wasn't that good. I never liked the whole. Journey's important. Uh, I, and, I, yeah. I, 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 I always had took a bit of an issue with that because I mean Wesley was always supposed to be the kind of Gene Roddenberry's character. I mean Roddenberry's middle name was Wesley. Yeah. So that was his. You know, in a way for him, Wesley was his character, and Wes, you know that. And I it always kind of, it never sat with me well that Ron Moore kind of hijacked that character a bit to take him in a different direction. Because, hmm. um, I mean, Ron Moore had been Navy and they kind of go, actually, no, this isn't for me. I'm going to go and do this. And threw in the career he might have had to go and do something he really wanted to do and be the real him. And hijacking Wesley in that way, it just felt wrong to me in some ways. Yeah, although I think it's like, well, no, Wesley from... never really wanted to be in Starfleet. Well, yeah. since when? That was all, you know. Yeah, take him away and from the, the traveller thing would have been better, though. I think the the traveller stuff wasn't mm-hmm. that good. No, I agree. Yeah. He's destined to become a godlike being. Like, yeah, I know. Okay, and then he's yeah, just back in. Enough. He's back in a deleted scene of Nemesis, and yeah, I was kind of glad to see him back, to be honest. So you know, <laughs> it's like yeah, all that bullshit. <laughs> Although when he was like an ensign and you know his involvement in things like Best of Both Mm. Worlds and stuff like that, and of course the game is a bit of a classic Mm. uh, that has Ashley Judd in it. You know she's uh, famous in other ways. So um, indeed, and the first duty is his finest moment. Excellent. 
and he's great yeah. in that as is Patrick Stewart yeah um, and uh, Robert Duncan McNeil turning Robert in an Duncan early McNeil. good as performance Tom Paris before he was Tom Paris yeah Tom Paris but for legal reasons yeah <laughs> well they could easily have made him Tom Paris but they would have had to pay the um, person that created the character every episode they used him so they didn't want to do that yeah, and I think the rationale they gave is that Locarno was somewhat irredeemable because he does the wrong thing consistently, whereas Paris needed to be redeemable. So you had to have Paris confessed on his yeah, I, 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 I don't think Tom Paris was irre- um, Locarno was irredeemable at all. Oh, I don't think so. Anything. No. Locarno fell on his own sword for his friends. So in some yeah. ways, that gels very well with Tom Paris. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about continuity earlier. They pick mm-hmm. up from that episode with. In Sincito. I know. Yeah, so... Um, of and course, that was only for one episode. Yeah, but at the same time, she's just kind of... She's there, and it's like, oh, yeah, you were involved in this incident, and that's mm-hmm. one of those, I remember that episode sort of moments. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, that was nice. Yeah, and the, it shows Picard's strength of character, because he was like, no other commander in the fleet is going to give her a chance. Mm-hmm. But I will, you know. Yes. And, uh, so, that, I mean, that was good. Um, and Wesley kind of weighing up the... You know, he's he loves being on. It wasn't Red Squad at the time, was it? No, it, no, it wasn't. It was just um, I can't remember the some elite thing. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's what would become Red Squad, I think, mm. yeah, later on. You know, well, I maybe think if, I don't think that was really the intention. It was just you know, they were pilots rather than Red Squad. But I don't know. Yeah, but they were kind of campus jocks, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, as well, they, they they kept saying that. You know, they were the the in crowd and so mm. on. Uh, so Wesley was tossing up the I'm in the in crowd, I'm getting the advanced classes and you know, we've done this thing and I have to lie about it and then he's fine with it until Picard shows up and gives him a kick in the arse and says no, uh, remember the oath that you haven't taken yet but soon will um, mm. you have to you have to fess up or you have no business being in Starfleet and that really resonates with him you know, it's, it's interesting um, and that's the last you see of him for a bit yeah it pops up briefly in parallels. Yeah. In an alternate universe. Yeah, that's a good episode as well. Love that it episode. Is. Uh, just seeing all the. It's quite subtle as well. Like sometimes it's just Geordie's lieutenant mm-hmm. instead of lieutenant commander, data yeah. blue eyes, and they don't call attention to it. It's just kind of there. So um, it's, it's cleverly constructed, and it's an important Wharf episode because it, it mm-hmm. shows. It gives him a taste of what he could be, mm-hmm. um, which is important for him later on. Um next yeah have we missed out any main characters I think that's them all did we do Worf well I think we've talked about him throughout that's fine yeah I think um, yeah he started off as nothing became something yeah uh, I suppose his relationship with his son is something that I keep forgetting about I keep forgetting about Alexander because it's it's not always that well done or maybe it's because I'm not a parent it's pretty poorly done and Worf at the end of the day is a pretty dreadful parent yeah just like uh, bugger off yeah (laughs) it's like um, it's the excuse for not having the actor around yeah. Yeah. And then you see him in Deep Space Nine in a couple of episodes. He's 20 years older. <laughs> yeah, although Klingons mature quicker, that's fair enough. Yeah. That's fine. I don't have an issue with that. It doesn't particularly bother me, but it's like, ah, oh, it's a bit yeah. of a cliche. But yeah, Worf is my favourite Star Trek character. Okay. I think it's more about what he becomes in mm-hmm. uh, Deep Space Nine and stuff. Not- and then you can. When you go. Uh, you can retroactively apply what happens in Deep Space Nine yeah. to Next Generation as well. He's certainly not my favourite, but he is a good character. Yeah. Um, and he's some- better written on DS9 than he was on TNG. Well, sometimes he's a bit one-dimensional. He chucks around the word honour and, you know, yeah. whatever else. And, and his, 
his ideas are always, can we shoot it? Yeah, I think but, TNG was more guilty of that than DS9 was. Yeah. Oh, definitely. In TNG, every time that something showed up, he says, I recommend we fire a full spread of photon torpedoes. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, we won't do that. Uh, we'll do something else. <laughs> Um, and definitely the TNG wharf could never take command of anything because he'd be just he'd be blowing things up left, right, and centre because that's all he knew how to do. Indeed. Yeah. But good character who and Michael Dorn brings a lot to him. You know that intensity, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the authority. It's great. You know, I, I love Michael Dorn. He's definitely got a gravitas about him. Yeah. yeah such a great voice as well. Indeed. One of the great vocal performers. That's well from there. Yeah. Uh, he shows up in video games a lot as well, does Worf. Yeah. Yeah. So does Patrick Stewart, right enough. That's true. Yeah. Uh, there's no... Yeah, I think we've exhausted the main characters. Wow. Uh, do a bit of the recurring... We talked a bit about Barclay. He's the analogue for the fan, so to speak. Um, he is indeed. I mean, he really is that kind of... Who we would be in the Star Trek universe, yeah. probably. But I do like the whole... Um, the, from the outside looking in perspective mm-hmm. so it's you know if you look at say Riker hanging around with Geordi and Worf and so on you know the, it's a bit of a boys club you know they go play poker they, they have in jokes it's this tight circle that you can't really break into and Barclay's like this this guy that wishes he was one of them I suppose on the well, outside they, re- and, they revisit that a little bit in Lower Decks as well yeah, with, which um, one of my favourites with that the um, offices in that one with like Lavelle and that kind of thing yeah, so, yeah Lavelle's a think, kiss ass but he's not very good yeah. at it yeah. But I think they kind of they again highlight that thing that the senior staff are this kind of like impenetrable bubble and it's difficult to get in from the outside and people outside that bubble probably see them very differently than they see themselves. Yeah. And certainly Barclay was, you know, a prime example of that. Yeah, it's probably quite frustrating working on the Enterprise in mm. a sense because well, you're not there's only there. there's only so high you can go because mm. You know, if you want to be chief engineer, well, Geordi's not going anywhere. Mm. You want to be tactical officer or security chief, then Worf ain't going anywhere. And, mm. You know, Riker's never going to get take a command of his own, so no one else could be first officer and so mm. on. You know, so it would get to the point where it's like, I have to get off this ship or my career is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can almost relate to that in the sense of, uh, you know, so many people are in jobs that are a bit of a dead end. Um where they're stuck and, and want to move on but can't because there's no opportunities. and Maybe the Enterprise is a bit like that. Uh, later Voyager was an extreme example of that. There was nowhere to go because unless someone died, you weren't getting no. their job. You know. Um, so it's interesting from that point of view. And that's mm-hmm. Lower Decks kind of touches on that. I mean, they're at the very bottom end of the spectrum there. So they've still got quite a, bis- a distance to go. And... Uh, and was there not a rumour that they were using Lower Decks as a test bed for Voyager? There was a rumour about that. Yeah, but thankfully Simply, they didn't. Um, oh, God. The Vulcan. Torek. Torek. He ended up on Voyager. As but Voyager. There, was yeah. that there was a rumour that some of these characters would show up on Voyager. Yeah. I don't know how much truth was in that. Was well, I think the actor playing Torek was somebody's nephew. It might have been Jerry Taylor's nephew. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he showed up as Vorek, who yeah. is pointed out in the books as being Torek's brother or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which is fine. Um, another recurring character we got a bit of, Ashley Judd's Robin Leffler. She mm-hmm. appeared a couple of times. She did. She only, was good. I would like to have seen more of her. Yeah, only prominently once, though. Mm-hmm. You know, where she had her laws 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it clearly felt like they were going to do more with her because they spent a lot of time developing her. Well, I think uh, Ashley Judd became famous not long after that, so that went out of the window. Yeah. If they ever had plans to do more with her. Uh, whatever happened with the Sonia Gomez character? When she I, appeared in Q Who? You know, she... I actually can't remember. She was in a couple of episodes and then they never had her back. Yeah. I'm not sure why. She was supposed to be a recurring engineer she was a good character. character. I would like to yeah. have seen more of her. I would like to have seen her developed, but it just never happened. Yeah. I always wondered if they were going to try and pair her and Geordie up as well. Well, you, it kind of seemed like it was going that way. Mm-hmm. She was someone for Geordie to talk to mm-hmm. uh, uh, who, who wasn't Data. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to keep her on and develop her, but it just never happened. I don't know whether the actress wasn't available or this didn't work out or I don't know. <laughs> or they just went another way with everything. They may have just gone another way and decided not to use her again. Yeah. Um, a hugely important supporting character that throughout when, from when she appeared in season two was Guinan, though. She only appeared because Whoopi Goldberg wanted to be on the show, and because Whoopi Goldberg wants to be on the show, you make up a character for her. You know, and, yeah, and I love the... She had the most unique relationship with Picard because she was completely distanced from him. You know, she didn't have to take orders from him. Uh, she could tell it like it is, but she still respected him. And, and the advice she would... Mm-hmm. And the advice she would give was spot on in all cases. She was named for a famous bartender. Yeah. Texas Guinan? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, she was a great character. I mean, I remember from her um, her brief appearance in Measure of a Man, uh, when Picard's like, what am I going to do? Riker's uh, argument was devastating. And she's like, well, think about it this way. Mm-hmm. And then she got on at the whole slavery angle, which... You know, when when you consider Whoopi Goldberg's race, yeah, it means a lot when she comes comes from her. You know, I think again we're talking about there was an awful lot of really talented actors came on the show and worked on the show, and you know they really brought their A game to a lot of stuff they brought on, and Whoopi Goldberg's no exception. Yeah, um, she brought a lot of credibility to the show. Yeah. And I think it helped raise other people's game as well. And I think the other thing is the writers upped their game to give her good material to work. Not always. She wasn't always given great material, but a lot of the time they wrote for the talents of the actors rather than just writing yeah. to the stories or to writing to the characters. They knew what these actors were capable of doing and they would write them good material that they knew they would take and knock out the park. Yeah. Well, Picard got such better advice from her than he ever did from Troy. But you oh, could, that's true. You could almost see that dialogue being given to Troy, and it probably should have been. Probably. Yeah. It probably should have been. But, you know. There's even that episode where Troy's, like, lost her powers, mm-hmm. and Guinan says, maybe I could replace you. And everyone's yeah. like, yeah, she probably could. To be fair, <laughs> one, one of Marina Sirtis's best episodes. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's vulnerable and mm-hmm. uh, and she gets to find out why she's actually good at her job, mm-hmm. at least in theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked Guinan. I like that she appeared in uh, Generations. Her scenes in Generations were probably some of the best as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the show, she was good. I think they didn't overuse her and they kept an air of mystery around her, like, mm-hmm. what is her deal with Q? Question that's never answered. Probably just uh, as well. But Q is afraid of her. Uh, which well, is interesting. He seems to be. I think certainly at that point they didn't really know what they were doing. Yeah. Um, 
the fact that they never followed up on that makes me suspect that, you know, I think at that time they were maybe wondering that Guinan was more powerful than she eventually was. Yeah, well, apparently the plan was in season five of Enterprise to do the kind of how Guinan meets Q episode. There was talk about that, but last season five. Yeah, well, I'm glad that they didn't because that would have been one of those. I don't yeah, need to know I the think, answer to this. I think it's something we don't need to know. Yeah. It's just nice to have that mystery. It's like, yeah, Guinan's had this whole other life that we just have no idea about. Mm-hmm. She's a mystery, but she's very forthcoming as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and always like the little tidbits you get, you know, where she walks in to help Worf, or she walks in to train with Worf, and he's like, I play at level 10. And she's like, I could come down to that level, I suppose. Yeah. You know, <laughs> things like that. And she could get under Worf's skin in a way that other people couldn't as well. She could, and she could yeah. get away with it. Yeah. Because you respected know. her. Yeah. So that was great, yeah. Um, Q we've kind of touched on as well. Wow. Um, I think he got better in certain episodes. Oh, definitely. I mean, certainly when he first appears, he's just he's a bit of a cipher, really, and he yeah. doesn't bring a lot to the table. And again, I don't think he came into his own until Q who. Yeah, and the episode where he loses his abilities is a really good oh, one. Oh, that's an amazing episode. Yeah. And John Delancey just nails it. And, yeah. um gives Data one of Data's best scenes as well, and one of Q's best scenes. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the bit where Guinan stabs him with a fork. It's like, where is he yeah. just pretending to be human, and she stabs him? Seems human enough to me. Um, and the bit where he's been, you know, where he's been chased by these wispy aliens. Yeah. And uh, Geordi's just like, Captain, he's not worth it. Let's just let him die. You know, it's like, that's quite cold, but you can see why he thinks that, you know, because he's actively jeopardising Mm-hmm. Their mission, and it's—I mean, I, I like that episode because it gives you a different side of Q, where his arrogance is just falling apart. And the crew aren't perfect because they're not nice to him. No, and deservedly so, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great episode for Q for me was Tapestry. Tapestry's great. That's a yeah. great, good one for Q and a good one for Picard. Yeah. It's like Q learns a lot from observing Picard in that episode, and Picard learns a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I love the bit where uh, Picard's like, but what about the timeline if I change stuff? And he's like, to be blunt, you're not that important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that interesting because uh, they're still always that, so worried about Still remains that question mark over whether Q was really there or whether it really just was a near-death experience Picard had. Yeah, although I, general, uh, I generally believe that Q was actually there. And, I although think maybe was. Maybe there wasn't. He wasn't actually changing anything. He was just toying around with Picard because mm-hmm. the reason that Picard, because Picard hero heals miraculously mm-hmm. afterwards, or at least it seemed like that. So I took that to uh, mean he Q heal did miraculously it. crush her, like yeah. fixes his injury. Yeah, he was in sick well, bay. Yeah, but he was kind of dead by that point, wasn't he? I think you can assume that she was doing stuff. Yeah, to revive him. Plus the um, plus they seeded that earlier on where he tells Wesley about the mm-hmm. that incident and he says and when I was stabbed I laughed yep. and he doesn't know why and then yep. that well, they that question. Made, they took the time to go back and make sure that they recreated that nicely yeah. and they adhered to what they'd set up so that was nice yeah and it was a great Q episode mm-hmm. and I like that he wasn't he was underused in the later seasons mm-hmm. he didn't show up very much mm-hmm. um, and I can't think of any other time he did show up. Other than those, other than the finale, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Q was good. Indeed. Um, 
We also get other important characters turn up in TNG, like Gowron, who becomes very important in Deep Space Nine. Um, I always liked Gowron because he was very... There, there was something un-Klingon about him in a lot he of ways. He was very un-Klingon. He was yeah. more like an original series Klingon. Yeah. Uh, well, nobody trusted him because he was a bit snivelling and a, and a bit incompetent. But... Like say, very like an original series yeah. Klingon. And, but he knew the right people, and he was in the right position at the right time. And, and he was good at playing games and playing people against each other. Yeah, he knew how to play the power game. Yeah, he was he was really good. And uh, again, he wasn't used that much, but when he was, it was mm-hmm. it was all right. And then in Deep Space Nine, he comes into his own even more so, mm-hmm. you know, leading up to Worf killing him and stuff, which is a nice little counterbalance to that because it was Worf who put him where he was in the first place. Um, yeah, Juras turned up a couple of times, or the sisters anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they were okay. Yeah, I wasn't so keen on them. They were a bit kind of like, yeah. I I was always disappointed with the way they um, handled Tural after that because I always yeah. kind of wanted to see Tural grow beyond what his family was. And so, and then we meet Tural on DS Nine, and he's as big a dick as the rest of his family. It's like, no, surely you could have Tural learn from the fact that Worf spared him. Yeah. Because ultimately you just make Wolf look like a prat for sparing him. Because he showed up in the Indiana Jones episode, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would have been nice if, sort of Kalos, I think it would have been nice yeah. if Tural actually had become leader of the Empire one day. Maybe Tural in the Martok role. Yeah. Um, and Tural has learned from the fact that Wolf spared him, and it becomes full circle. Wolf becomes part of Tural's house. Yeah. Although then you would have missed out on... And Worf ends up putting Tural in, you know, the Chancellor's role. Yeah. Although you would have missed out on... You would have missed out on Martok. But, you know, it is what it is. But I think that would have been actually pretty cool. It would have been a nice full circle instead of, yeah, well, Worf spared Tural, but, oh, actually, here he is again. And he's a dick and he's incompetent. And you're like... (laughs) So you just make Worf look like a prat. I suppose you could add G.J. Hertzler play Tural. You could, but he's yeah. a lot older than... That's true. And under all the makeup, how would you know, I suppose? Yeah. Uh, maturing Klingons. Fast maturing Klingons. <laughs> yeah. Although he matures faster than Worf, I suppose, in that in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with the Jura stuff is they tend they kind of drop the Romulan connection after a fashion. Yeah. Because um, like you had Sela and so on. Well, the Romulans had basically abandoned them anyway. Yeah. Um, but I felt like there was more of a story there that they didn't bother telling. Well, that's true, yeah, because it'd yeah. always been a kind of, they'd always been agents of the Romulans sort of thing. Because they build up Sela and then she disappears completely, mm-hmm. and is never seen again. Is never seen again. I always Other than in a video been, game, she should have been in the Donatra role in Nemesis. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she turns she up in be, Star Trek Armada, though. Which, she does, but if she'd yeah. been in the Donatra role in Nemesis, that would have been a nice full circle for her. Yeah. Where she helps Picard and, and mm-hmm. all that stuff, yeah. Um, that kind of brings us naturally onto the, the kind of background arc. So you had the the Klingon stuff and Worf's dishonor that that kind of moved across at the same pace. Well, that was uh, a big part of the series, to be honest. Yeah, they always fed into each other, and then it culminated in the Civil War, where um, where Worf had to leave the Enterprise to join his brother, mm-hmm. uh, which, which was, was a really nice cool. arc actually, and it was yeah. nice seeing Worf. Be a Klingon, but not be a very good Klingon. Yeah. Well, he was too Starfleet, yeah. He was too humanised. Yeah, and I liked Kern. 
as well. Kern was Kern good. was cool. Again, I didn't like where they ended up with Kern. Yeah, where he got his memory erased. And yeah, stuff like I that. thought that yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Uh, another good showing for Tony Todd, though. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he always brought Tony some Todd good stuff. Tony Todd disappoints. Definitely not. Uh, he does good in Star Trek. Old Jake Sisko and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, very good. Yeah. And, and the Dishonor stuff was great. You know, Worf happily accepted this commendation to protect the Empire. That was interesting. And it was nice to see that as an arc, and then Worf yeah. goes from, you know, outcast to hero of the Empire to outcast to hero of the Empire. <laughs> it was weird when he killed Duras, though, because mm-hmm. um, he, he kills him, and there's almost no consequences for him. Mm-hmm. Like, Picard just forgets about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was another like really great part where he was like sifting through Starfleet information, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I'm going to use this to help my case." And mm-hmm. Picard's like, "That's not yours to use. That's mm-hmm. you know, this is an yeah. internal Klingon matter, and this is Starfleet information. This is like, mm-hmm. but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it available to everybody who wants to use it, mm-hmm. and this is as far as I'm going. Be warned." So that was interesting. Yeah. And then. Um, yeah, I, I, I quite like that story, and it's weird how it starts in... Is it season two it starts in? Probably, th- no, three, because three. it's Sins of the Father. Yeah. And it just keeps going, mm-hmm. and eventually it's resolved. It was great, and that was certainly one of the most interesting parts of TNG was that arc. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was, and obviously... It I mean, the three, the three big arcs in TNG were Picard and the Borg... Yeah, Worf and the Klingons, and Data and Soon. Data's, yeah. you know, journey. Those were the three big arcs in TNG. Yeah, uh, I always liked. And they were the, all interesting. Yeah, I always liked the, the whenever Data would find out a bit about his past. Mm-hmm. You know, where he learned how to dream, or mm-hmm. watching him play off himself as lore. Yeah. He was, he was excellent. Uh-huh. Um, the episode where he, brothers where he plays three versions of himself, essentially. That's a pretty cool episode. Yeah. Um. And when you see the him return, the plot's not great, but they know yeah. the data plot's pretty good in that one. Yeah, and where it's that sense of family, and then Laura mm-hmm. betrays them, and yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and I always liked Laura as a villain. I, I wish he'd it'd been him instead of B four and Nemesis again. Yeah, that would have been good. Alas, <laughs> yeah, we got B four. Yeah, and. Outside of those major arcs, um, you always had this kind of growing Romulan tension and growing Cardassian tension that would crop up every now and again. The Romulan tension didn't really go anywhere. No. Uh, but the Cardassian stuff did, and obviously, you know, that built up into, like, both DS9 and Voyager. Yeah. Um, it, more more DS9 than Voyager, but um, it was certainly a thread through both of them. And both of those were very you know, clearly spun off what they were doing on TNG. And yeah. it was almost a shame in the last season of TNG, they spent far too much time trying to set up Voyager than they did actually wrapping up the show, mm. in a way. Yeah, because you had all the Maquis stuff, mm. uh, and you tied that into Roe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, liked I, it. Yeah, I, liked I was Ro. always disappointed with the way they took Roe as well, because having Roe betray Picard like that always felt wrong. It was understandable, yeah. but you just didn't feel like... But to be fair, Michelle Forbes sold it very well, and you could tell that as, you know, the character was torn. Yeah, and I'm glad they didn't use her instead of Major Kira as well. Yeah, I think that was a right call. 
I think Michelle Forbes would have been excellent, but I think it was the right call. And I think I, I you know, I, I like who we got. I like Kira. Yeah, and uh, Roe was a bit of a again a bit of a shot in the arm because she would, she was a bit ballsy, you know, and she would speak well, her she mind. She had some conflict to the show as well. Yeah, and that was ultimately why she was brought on, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, she had that flirtation with Riker, and mm-hmm. uh, she wasn't afraid to tell Picard how it was, and mm-hmm. um, and then the uh, the disaster episode, she's the one, t- you know, she's the one pushing Troy to make decisions. Yeah. Um, whereas O'Brien's like, I'll do whatever you tell me. Just tell me to do something, and Rose like you have to tell us to do something, mm-hmm. you know, because um, she can't overthrow her, but mm-hmm. she, she can goad her. That was really good. Uh, in terms of the Romulan stuff, it was always kind of a, it's almost a bit of a cold war, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Because we just like turn to up, do more with that. Yeah, but, you know, I liked what we got. You know, we said Tomalak was good. Tomalak was great. We got a couple of really good episodes in the third season in the Defector and in the Adversary. Yeah. But yeah, I would like to see them do more of that. But you know, we got some excellent and face of the enemy. Yeah, face of the enemy yeah, is it was probably our best Troy episode. Yeah, and I liked um, in the Pegasus. I love that bit where the Romulan shows up and uh, they both know why they're both there, but they won't admit yeah. it officially because it's essentially a recorded conversation. So you know, it's like we're doing uh, we're doing tests on gaseous anomalies, and yeah. Troy's like, "So are we? And uh, do you want some help?" And it's like, mm-hmm. "I don't think we're compatible." Yeah, maybe you're right, and it's that kind of undercurrent of mistrust and mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, it's. I think they'd always did that very well, and they did. Yeah, the Romulans never s- seemed like a, a big threat as such, but it's weird because in the original series they were very militaristic. You know, mm-hmm. they were aggressively expanding and things like that. But in TNG, they were like, "We're just going to float around on our side of the border, crossing now and again, doing little duplicitous things and." Um, things like the defector where it's like let's start we could be starting a war here but we don't actually want that so um it was that face-off where picard brought some klingons with him uh, oh that was great i remember yeah. that moment yeah that was pretty cool yeah and again it shows how you can build tension without that anybody a, firing a shot that was a draw draw a jaw dropper at the time yeah going, yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great one um so yeah, tiny little arcs, and the Cardassians. You had that, you had that flashbacky stuff almost, where it was mm-hmm. O'Brien was in the war with them. There was a war at some point. You know, Picard fought in that war as well, and the Stargazer. Well, the wounded was a great episode as well. Yeah, as well as giving O'Brien some backstory, which, considering it was just a recurring cast member, was pretty neat. Yeah, and it's one of the few competent uh, other captains mm-hmm. that you see. Oh, Maxwell was great, and it's just a shame we didn't... I would like to have seen him again. Although at that point, were they already, like, shopping characters for Deep Space Nine, and O'Brien was one of them? Was that why they were giving Uh, him more to do? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it's maybe a bit early for that, but maybe they were thinking about it at the time, at least. Yeah. Next up, I had the definitive moments, Mm -hmm. or defining moments of the show, which we've kind of touched on throughout. We had the torture, the assimilation... Uh, Riker on the Pegasus. These were all really defining moments. Mm-hmm. Data's, you know, data scene journey towards yeah. humanity and his family. Which he stuff ultimately, and, does have. He yeah. ultimately does find that by dying in Nemesis. We can argue sort of. about whether that was well <laughs> done or not, but you yeah. know, that was the yeah. ultimate. Yeah, last some... step in humanity for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not as well done as it could have been, but that's a separate no. issue. Uh, we have some other hugely definitive moments and the fact that we had some original series characters make a bit of a return. Mm-hmm. 
starting with McCoy in Encounter at Firepoint. That was nice. And it was it, a great it, little scene. They didn't even name him. He was just the Admiral, but it was just yeah. well done. Yeah. And if I remember rightly, DeForest Kelly did that for scale. All right, okay. Um, yeah. He didn't take a big payment for anything. Charles and Lodes, he, you know, I think he did it for basic, or he did it, he did it as a favour for Roddenberry. Yeah. I think. Fair enough. Well, I it was nice. Friends. Yeah. It was a great scene. It was. Um, uh, although they gave no adequate reason why he was there. <laughs> he no. just kind of was. Last uh, surviving member of the original crew, I guess. I suppose, although Chekhov might well, have been kicking about. Well, we don't know that, though. Yeah, it's never explained. No. Unless you, unless you take uh, Renegade's cannon, which I don't. Which we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Chekhov being the youngest of the human characters. Could have been around. Yeah. Sulu, maybe, still kicking somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. Um, the other one was, the next one was Scotty. Although Scott that was, was first. great. The, the Scotty appearance was the best, I think. Scotty appearance was by far the best. Spock's yeah. appearance was okay and kind of tied into Star Trek Six at the time. Yeah, it was kind of uh, promoting it, that, wasn't it? Absolutely, it was cross-promotion. But um, I want Scotty to, appearance was by far the strongest script and the strongest yeah. appearance. And it was great. It was a lovely swan song for James yeah. Doohan. With the Spock thing, I wanted to see him actually aboard the Enterprise. Yeah, that would have been nice. You know, it would have been, it would have been fine. Um, I don't I understand what they were going for, although the unification thing came out of nowhere, really. It really did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're kind of robbed of Spock on the Enterprise mm-hmm. D and, you know, commenting on how the crew work. Because mm-hmm. that, and that's what Scotty did. You know, Scotty yeah. was there like, holy crap, you work differently to I did in my day. Yeah. And I'm going to reference original series episodes and I'm going to appear like I'm in the way. And, and, and they George- built that bit of bridge. Yeah. They built a section of bridge. Yeah, it was like a... Yeah, they built the chair and the aft console, mm-hmm. didn't they? And then they spliced mm-hmm. it with stock footage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Scotty only sits in these weird places. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was... Not, but, you know, he sat at his station. He sat in the captain's chair. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Not a problem there. And Jordy doesn't come across well in that episode. He doesn't, but he certainly... You can kind of understand it because he's got this old guy interfering and actually causing problems so you can kind of relate to it as well but again he comes across again it's one of those things you often find these outsiders coming in and the crew don't always come across in the best way which again is one of these things I hear about the perfect crew I I always feel that's a little bit over exaggerated because you know every now and again you get this glimpse of them actually no they're not the perfect crew (laughs) Jordy's just trying to get to work and mm-hmm. Scotty's just annoying him. And, yeah, and I kind of like that. Yeah. It was a nice insight into him. Yeah. And into, yeah. you know, the setup again. Yeah, it made their interaction feel more real as well. Mm-hmm. At the point where they found common ground towards the end of mm-hmm. the episode, it was it was earned because they'd mm-hmm. gone through that. Absolutely. You know, you know, I know also, you're a legend, but I don't like you. Go, go away. You know. But also, Scotty earned the fact, earned the realisation that he is not obsolete. Yeah. And that, you know, just because he's old... He still has purpose. He doesn't no longer have purpose. He still has purpose. Yeah. Which was nice. Yeah, and my personal favourite scene in that episode is where uh, Jordy's like, I would, I, I said to the captain, I get this thing to him in an hour, and he's like, and how long will it really take? Yeah, that's a crazy. He's like, an hour? You know, like, yeah. just like, no, 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 you're supposed to multiply your estimates by a factor of four so that your, your captain's really impressed. And, no, that's a total, yeah, that's a yeah. great scene, actually. 
I would have liked to see that pay off later on with Jordy. Like, yeah, this will take a couple hours, and then he gets it done in like twenty minutes. And yeah, Picard's impressed. Although the thing is, I, I honestly, that's just not who Jordy was. No, and I like that it's not who he was. And yeah. they kind of got, and certainly one of the things on DS Nine, they made O'Brien more into a Scotty type character. Yeah, kicking stuff to get it to work. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I like that he, you know, he kicked stuff and he was more physical. I mean, that wasn't really a Scotty trait, I guess, but yeah. it made it more like this engineering miracle worker than Geordie was. Yeah, he was, he was almost yeah. like a Scotty Redux. He was, and he was Irish. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. At least he wasn't Welsh. <laughs> yeah, he was able to innovate, come up with solutions on the yeah. fly. That was that's the the Scotty trait you should replicate mm-hmm. rather than the. Mm-hmm. You know the the silliness or or whatever else you mm-hmm. know, like get the spirit of them right and then you're yeah. there. Um, so yeah, I love the TOS appearances. That was about it for them. Mm-hmm. In fact, that was it. And I'm glad they didn't overdo it, to be honest, because I think that was one of the things they certainly got right with the series. Don't have too much reference to the original. Yeah, and it becomes too referential, too reverential, and too forced. Yeah, just the right amount. Yeah, balanced it about right. Yeah, and other personal favourite moments for me throughout TNG. I mean, chain of command. We've already talked about the torture bit, but I really liked having another captain aboard because it was, you know, the crew were very complacent by that point. Mm-hmm. You know, the Picard was pretty well, lenient on them. They got on with stuff, and then Mike is a J- dick. Yeah, <laughs> he's really just, unprofessional. Yeah, in fact, the whole crew are again. Yeah. We don't see them as perfect. An outsider comes in and they're dicks. Although Jordy has the most rational reason. He True. says, you know, he says, uh, he's telling me to do all this stuff, but I don't have the time or but the resources to do it all. Guess yeah. what, pal? You're in the Navy. Get on with it. Yeah. yeah. And that was Jellicoe's attitude. It's like, mm. I don't give a crap about your... Uh, and you know, ultimately, Jellicoe was right. He may not have had always the best people skills, but he was right as the commander. Yeah. And... Yeah, you can see both sides of the argument where him and Riker are concerned. Riker's just like, look, I don't like you. I'll follow your orders, but I don't like you. And mm-hmm. and he blatantly disobeys the let's change the, the rota mm-hmm. stuff. And he just doesn't do it. And it's causing personal problems. And Jellicoe's like, I told you to do it, so you're going to do it. And uh, then Picard's like, go easy on him. And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. You, you, uh, you captain your way, I'll captain my way. So, yeah. Uh, and if you read some of the books, Jellicoe makes Admiral before he does. Yeah. <laughs> frontier. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a personal favourite for me. I just liked, again, play with the format a little bit. Mm-hmm. Lower Decks, as I said, I enjoyed mm-hmm. a lot. Just a lot of little bits and pieces throughout. Just uh, think, any. Yeah. yeah, for me, Darmok's probably a personal favourite moment. Just... That moment where Picard and Dathan sit around the campfire and Picard tells Dathan about Gilgamesh and Enkido, it's just yeah. such an amazing scene. And Patrick Stewart and Paul Winfield just kill that scene. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing. Um, and then that last scene in the ready room where Picard's there with a the knife and it's just, yeah, it's just a beautiful episode. Yeah. Uh, the Inner Light's a highlight for me as well because it's so off-format. It lets Picard, or it lets Patrick Short play Picard, but not Picard. Mm-hmm. And again, that has repercussions. You see the flute used again mm-hmm. in future episode, one future episode. Fair enough, but uh, I don't think it ever comes up again. But no. it's a, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a good, used, interesting episode from time to time. But it's not overused. Yeah, um, the chase. I really like the chase. 
where Picard's old archaeology professor, and you get an, a glimpse, another glimpse into Picard's past, which is really nice. Although they were explaining why all aliens look like humans, <laughs> thing was yes. a bit was a bit overblown. The episode, not the film, First Contact, was mm-hmm. one, was one I liked because you see it's the Enterprise crew from fun. the perspective of the aliens. Yeah. yeah, for at least a little while. And and for once, they actually come off well when somebody else sees them. <laughs> yeah, unlike other times. Yeah, yeah but, no, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, attached, I really like Attached. I like seeing that glimpse into the Picard and date Picard and Crusher relationship. And actually, you see that you know they do both have these feelings, but neither of them's in. You know, they never both seem to be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. But you can tell that, you know, that relationship is there and, you know, hopefully one day. Well, it does it in the books, uh, eventually. Mm. It yeah. does. The other one, obviously, I mentioned earlier was Who Watches or Watches. And I mean, that's yeah. just one of my, just that whole episode for me is a favourite moment in Star Trek period because it just, you know, it just encapsulates a lot of what stands for Star Trek for me. Yeah performances just some of the moments there's just that amazing moment it's amazing to me maybe it's not to you or other people but that bit when Picard's in the ready room with Nuria and he's showing her her planet from the stars and I think that's something that we could all relate to in a way it's like you know that's almost us yeah and then the moment where she's in sick bay and she sees the scientist die and she realizes you're not gods (laughs) you're just people like us and I think those again are defining moments for Star Trek I think and I think they underline what Star Trek is to me it's different for everybody yeah but that's for me, the those one are. you chose last year when we did the 50th anniversary as well indeed yeah it's a good episode I haven't seen it in a long time actually mm. but um, I could probably quote chunks of it at you <laughs> I've seen it hundreds of times I know that Ray Wise is in it and I always like Ray, Ray Wise Ray Wise is in it yeah yep. and um, if you've ever watched um, oh god Californication. David Duchovny's character's agent's wife is um, the daughter. Well, there we go. Wow, Star Trek with its actors. Hamela, something or other. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, cool. OG. Uh, that was the character's name. <laughs> Fair enough. There we go. A uh, bit of trivia for everyone listening. All three people that are listening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, obviously, TNG um, had a bit of a film presence as well mm-hmm. um, and, and the agenda item I put down is the fact that it changes in the films Picard oh, becomes a bit more of an action hero very much so I mean the TNG movies doesn't work the tone is very very different and instead of becoming an ensemble show it really did become largely a Picard and Data show Picard Data and the others yeah. and the others yeah I mean characters like Crusher really got pushed to the side Geordie largely. Riker sometimes got more to do. First Contact does the best with First the First Contact does the best job of giving them all something to do, albeit not as much as you would like. Again, Crusher still gets sidelined. And as I said earlier, I always think that the character of Lily should not have been there. I think mm. Crusher should have... I mean, come on. Lily comes from sickbay and runs into Picard. That could have been yeah. Picard and Crusher and then... And Crusher should have been the one, again, telling Picard to blow up the damn ship, you know? But they wanted the audience to have a relatable character that could be the audience member in the the movie, I guess. But I would like, I would really have preferred if they'd done that with Crusher. And I think Gates McFadden's got the acting chops to have done it. 
And maybe the Lily character contributed to the mainstream success of First Contact as well. Maybe. Because it is, maybe. excluding the Abrams movies, mm-hmm. it's the only one since The Voyage Home to get that kind of mainstream yeah. appeal. Well, I don't know if that was the Lily character so much as it was just a good movie. Yeah. But I think the Lily made it a bit more accessible to non-Star maybe. Trek fans. And I think that was her purpose. Yeah. So maybe that was it. But I don't know. I mean, but then again, you could have done that with Cochrane. Cochrane makes it accessible as well. Yeah, true. Um, well, yeah, he swears and says things and listens to music and stuff. Now, that was very controversial see. at the time because people were not happy. A lot of fans were not happy with the way Cochrane was portrayed in the movie. Well, it's the same Cochrane, Don't Meet Your Heroes stuff, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, but Cochrane was yeah. very much intended to be, I think, and I've heard this discussed before, kind of like a represent to sort of represent Gene Roddenberry in there. <laughs> you know, it's like even that, that, that speech is, you talk about my great vision, my great vision, my great vision was islands and money and naked women. It's like, well, that sounds like Gene Roddenberry to me, you know? I and mean, it sounds like Riker. You know, like, it does sound like yeah. Riker as well. But I mean, you know, I think there was a bit of a tip of the hat to Gene Roddenberry in that, in that, you know, he was a guy who drank and swore and liked the ladies and, you know, was not always the most more ethically upstanding citizen as is as to be fair are not many of us yeah. um but is held up on a pedestal and actually when you confront them it's like that's not who i am and yeah and i and i think i don't think roddenberry thought that well i don't know i never knew the man but i suspect you know a lot of fans have roddenberry on this pedestal of this is the great gene roddenberry who created like utopia in actual fact he was a producer who wanted to make money and have a good life and He's surrounded by nubile women, which, you know, <laughs> is not in a completely terrible idea. <laughs> no, no, and it works well enough, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the trouble I have with Cochrane in that film is I don't quite believe him as a scientist because he's too much of a goof for the rest of the that time, you know. is a fair point, yeah. Um, at the time, I remember thinking, and I, I really like James Cromwell's act. I think he's great. And I think he did nail the part. But I remember at the time thinking, why don't they just cast Gil Gerard from Buck Rogers? He looks <laughs> a lot like Glenn Corbett. In mm. hindsight, I don't think that would have been a good choice. But at the time, it's like, but he looks like him. And I think they made the right choice. Oh, definitely. Um, but maybe they should have made him a bit, a bit less of a goofball. Yeah, they could have had a bit more science chat, you know, because mm-hmm. he doesn't really... Because he just gets led around by the Enterprise crew. Yeah, there should be true. a point where he, he had a bit of pride about the Phoenix. Because mm-hmm. even if he wasn't committed to the dream anymore, there was the yeah. idea that I built this thing, and you know, um, it's like the bit where there's a red light somewhere, and he just whaps the panel and says <laughs> it'll be fine. And it's I don't know. It seems a bit that off. was a very Scotty moment. <laughs> yeah, but you've um, yeah. The interesting thing is the TNG crew see him as the marble statue. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their perception Absolutely. of him. Absolutely. Yeah. The and same all... way many of us, many Star Trek fans, seen Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame that him and Picard didn't share a scene. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. Um, but Riker being a foil for him because they're a bit alike in some ways and getting to see Troy drunk was good fun. Yeah. Well, in yeah. the original, in the original, earlier draft of the script, it was Riker that stayed on the ship and Picard went down to the planet. Yeah, but then it makes more dramatic sense to have Oh, yeah, Picard I mean, it had to be Picard fighting the Borg, not Riker. I mean, the Borg were Picard's nemesis, not Riker's. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the Picard is an action hero because he does, you know, he's he's picking up the phaser in all three films. Yeah. Um, well, that's why Patrick Stewart hit the gym. 
Yeah, he did. he's shown off the guns in more ways than Indeed. one. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and there was still enough of Picard in there, I think. But There was. I, I think it was still the same character. I mean, yeah. maybe Godard was going through a bit of a midlife crisis. Yeah. But the um, the Picard and Data thing, I think it does work in the films. It does. Um, how each of... I mean, I don't include Generations, because Generations is a bit of a mishmash of the TV mm-hmm. show and then trying to be a feature film, whereas First Contact is very much a feature film. But what you've and got it's is... still the best of the TNG movies. Although, to be fair, I like Insurrection. It has its problems, but I like it. And I actually like Nemesis. I didn't particularly love it when it came out. But um, I like, I enjoy it more now than I used to. There's a better... F- there's a better version of Nemesis that was cut, I think. You know. And, oh, I agree. There's a lot yeah. of character stuff they cut from it. But to be honest, I think as movies go, it's an okay action movie, and there's some fun stuff in there. And actually, some of the stuff, the stuff on the planet, even though you know the Doom buggy chase, why? Okay, <laughs> kind of fun. But the way it's shot, the color palette they used for that, I kind of liked, and it was yeah. different. It tried to be a bit different. And actually, one of the things I always noticed about Nemesis, if you look at the plot. It's very similar to Star Trek 2009. <laughs> well, I've seen it. The villain's motivations are not similar. Yeah. Well, I've seen them. Um, there's a reviewer I like called SF Debris, and mm. I finally name-checked him. And he talks about uh, Star Trek 2009, and he talks about how when you look at the page, mm-hmm. what's on the page is comparable in quality to Nemesis. It's just the presentation yeah, is a hell absolutely. of a lot better. I agree. And I actually yeah. think there's a lot of similarities in the story. But is, part yeah. of that is the fact they were both trying to come up with their own Khan. Yes. You know, every time they're trying... It, it's the same story over and over again. Let's have a villain. They're trying to destroy something. They've got a super weapon. A super, and you're like, really? Yeah. But yeah, I agree. A lot of it is in presentation. And I think the problem is Nemesis could have been the movie they thought it was going to be. But I think there was a degree of... I think everybody was a bit burnt out on Star Trek, including a lot of fans, and yeah. it just wasn't, well, it wasn't placed well at the Well, you release it the same year as a Star Wars movie. And, yeah, and yeah. it just... Um, it's iffy. The interest wasn't there, and it wasn't. Gra- it didn't grab people enough. The trailers were long to come out as well. Um, yeah. After Insurrection, it was like four years. I mean, yeah, it was a long break. But then, yeah. similarly, there was a long break between two thousand and nine and Into Darkness, and Into Darkness was of a similarly poor quality to some of the other <laughs> yeah. bad movies. But you know, that's another matter entirely. It is indeed. I think TNG as a film franchise doesn't really work. The original series has three characters, three main characters, yeah. and everyone else orbits them. The Whereas big, TNG was an ensemble. I think the big problem with the TNG movies is the original series movies kind of kept the tone of the original series and kept what made the original series intact, whereas TNG tried to reinvent itself in the movies. And I think that was a big mistake. They didn't yeah, really, it was, it yeah. was coming up against other sci-fi action movies. And it was trying time. to be a sci-fi action movie. Yeah. And that's still a problem with Star Trek. It wants to be a sci-fi action movie. And it's not always... But it's not always... And the best Star Trek isn't when it's a sci-fi action movie. Yeah. Now, to be fair... Again, and I think it's a common criticism that Star Trek works best on TV, and I think that's true because when it tries to, when they do movies, they're trying to focus on the things that aren't Star Trek's strengths. Yeah, Star Trek's strengths are not when it's being, you know, an action movie. Star Trek's strengths are when it's like you know, morality plays and 
depth of storytelling and things like that. And yeah. that's this kind of thing. Star Trek does the smaller stuff better. Yeah. And the big stuff not so good. Star Wars does the big stuff well and the smaller stuff not so good. If mm. that makes sense. Yeah. And I yeah, like completely. the smallest I like the big stuff, but I like the smaller stuff better. So the character stuff is a stuff thing kind of thing that that appeals to me. Yeah. And they sacrificed a lot of that in the movies. Yeah, and I think um I would have really liked to see a TNG movie where it's it's more about solving a crisis rather than Absolutely. defeating I mean, a bad guy. Where we never got a TNG movie that was the equivalent of Star Trek Four. No. There's no villain in Star Trek Four. No. Why Other than and Star Trek Four was one of yeah. the most successful Star Trek movies. Yeah. I mean it was hugely popular at the time. And they should have had Q in one of the films as a resolution to that in some way. Absolutely. Yeah. But we'll never get it now. It's too. It's been too long. Oh God, no! I mean, that's that that boat sailed a good few. You know, as soon as the two th- as soon as the Abrams movie started, I think that boat sailed. Yeah. The, you might want to. You know, it's not impossible. You might get some kind of TV reunion at some point. I think it's unlikely, but you know, never say never. Yeah, I don't. You know, I think most of the cast would come back, with possibly the exception of Patrick Stewart. Though, if you threw enough money at him, he might do it. I think, in, yeah, he always says that he will, but he doesn't want to alienate a fan base, so of course yeah. he's going to say that. Um, but um, <coughs> we pay his bills at the end of the day, so yeah. he's never going to say, "Yeah, I'm done with this crap." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I think most of the cast would probably come back if he offered them a chance. Yeah, but again, I think it's largely that. I think that boat sailed. I'm ne- I would never say never, but I think it's unlikely. Yeah. It's going to be hard to pass off Brent Spiner's data these days. I anyway. think. What you could get at some point is a show that takes place or something that takes place, be it a TV movie or something that takes place post-TNG, and you might get some of those characters reoccur. Some of the actors back as older versions. I mean, you could get an Admiral Riker, for instance. That kind of thing. And that Riker as an Admiral is plausible. Yeah, eventually. Eventually. Or even just him on the Titan. I would watch Mm -hmm. that. Well, I wish they'd done that for the Enterprise finale. Yeah. Or actually, what they sh- what I've always said they should have been in the Enterprise finale was not Pegasus. They should have tied it into Riker's decision as to whether he took command of the Titan or not. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that ready would be to take better. command. Yeah. You it know? Slightly better. It would have still been rubbish, but better. yeah. Should I um, leave the Enterprise? I'm happy here. Yeah. And could have tied that into why Archer gave up the Enterprise. Yeah. You know, and that would have been a nice a nice kind of full circle thing but you know yeah, they never thought that one through. I don't think they thought that one I think they thought that one through and they thought they had a great idea and it was a great idea just the script wasn't there the script yeah. didn't work didn't at all the script just didn't pay off on the premise the prize was great but it just didn't mm-hmm. work yeah which is a shame the films are one thing but TNG was important in another capacity it was a, a springboard for Three mm-hmm. spin-offs, technically, because you wouldn't have had Enterprise yeah. without TNG at the end of the day. Um, nope. And it's it's quite interesting how it became so influential that they made not one, but two shows mm-hmm. to spin off from it. I mean, yeah. it, that's analogous to, at the moment, where the DC shows, you know, they're spinning off all over the bloody place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. spin-offs were not a new thing at the time. No. It, it was something that happened, but I mean, I think... They did a great job of spinning two shows off of TNG. My only regret on that is that they really did kind of blow a lot of the last season of TNG on setting up Voyager. Not so much DS9, because DS9 had already started up in season six. Yeah. 
um, and they didn't waste so much energy on that. Although they did I things mean, like the runabout was built on TNG's yeah. budget and I mean, all that I, stuff. I kind of wish they hadn't made Voyager in some ways because I think DS9 in some ways became, you know, the black eyed, the black sheep of the family. But DS9 was the better show between Voyager. And they set up um, they set up things that they didn't really use on Voyager anyway. The monkey thing went yeah. pretty quickly. I think DS9 was better set up than, Voy- than Voyager was. Um, yeah. And I think it was a better... I think it was a better pilot, although Voyager's pilot was actually very good. Um, I think DS9 had the better pilot of all of the of the four shows. Well, maybe not Enterprise. Enterprise is a pretty good pilot. Now DS9, I prefer DS9's pilot of the four shows, to be mm. honest. But um, and they didn't put as much work into setting that up on TNG as they did Voyager in season seven. Yeah. But I think yeah. it paid off that they didn't put as much energy into it. And I think it worked better that we had Picard appear on DS9 to set that up. I, I, I wish he'd appeared again. Well, the only thing they did in uh, TNG that I can remember was Bashir appeared. Which was in nice. Episode. Although yeah. it was supposed to be Dax originally, it was wasn't it? It was supposed to be Dax. Yeah. And Terry Farrell was not Busy. available through the yeah. schedule for some reason. I can't remember why. Yeah. But yeah, they put Bashir in. And when you watch Which the episode, actually, odd. it's more of a Dax thing. But, yeah, it, it, yeah, it made more sense for it to be Dax than it did yeah. to be to Bashir, but yeah, it worked. It was fine. Yeah, and in, in, uh, there was the was it Birthright where Worf went to Deep Space Nine. It was, yeah, yeah. and that was it. And you don't, I don't think there's cameos well, from anyone both, else. They both obviously both appeared in that one. Yeah, um, and the what's it the. Uh, Quark was on the view screen once because he owed mm-hmm. Riker money and Riker said, let's slash the debt by That's right. whatever, you know, for in exchange for information. One. I wish we get that one. Yeah, it's just such a small thing. and it's. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was nice. And it gives you this interconnected universe without making a big deal out of it as well. And it's yeah, like, it, would have, it would have been nice to see more crossovers between TNG and Voyager. We got a couple. Riker turned up once. Riker turned up once, although he doesn't remember it because, you know, yeah. he liked his memory. And then obviously <laughs> Barkley and Troy. Yeah. Which was yeah. nice. Yeah, um, and that was about it, really. Other than just mentions of, of people here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the Enterprise springboard was um, using Cochrane from First Contact. Yeah, and the Borg, of course. And the Borg, of course. Yeah. Um, and actually, one of the better Borg episodes of the latter part of the shows was when they turned up on Enterprise, they were actually yeah. kind of... They were menacing again. Menacing yeah. again, which they hadn't been for a long time. Yeah. Um, the last time they really had been before that was probably First Contact. Yeah. And obviously you had the TNG connection to Enterprise mm-hmm. that we've discussed at length, mm-hmm. which shouldn't have happened. At least not in that way. But yeah. um, it's interesting. I mean, the cultural impact, which is another mm-hmm. agenda point I had, it's, it's important because it was huge... And they were confident enough to create spin-offs and spend a lot of money on yeah. films. Well, there was and, certainly a lot more... Um, science fiction became much more mainstream after TNG. Yeah. Because it was always that kind of geeky thing that, you know, nerds watched. And then all of a sudden TNG became mainstream and then sci-fi became more mainstream. Yeah. Um, so it certainly had an impact. And, I mean, we talk about all the kind of 
technological innovation that was dreamed up on Star Trek. And I mean, it's not that simple. I mean, a lot of these things are dreamed up other places as well. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, TNG, they have pads. We have iPads now, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, all all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, laptops. Tricorders, laptops, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying TNG was purely responsible for these things, but certainly much as with the original series, people saw these things and were inspired in some degree to them. I mean, there was always people who were thinking about these things anyway. Yeah, people attribute their careers in science and things to mm-hmm. watching Star Trek. Yeah, so, and TNG um, had that impact as well. Yeah, I mean, why do you think it had that impact? Because it's very weird, because the original series was very niche. It was popular, mm-hmm. but it was niche, you know. It wasn't even popular enough to get a fourth season. No. Um, and well, considering the third season wasn't very good, that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, and they were trying to kill it in season three as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. But, I mean, why do you think TNG became so synonymous I, well, with honestly, good sci-fi? I, don't know. I mean, how do you catch lightning in a bottle twice? Is, you yeah. Know, the state? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just think it was the right place, the right time. I think it was lucky in that the net, the studio was willing to keep it going. I mean, if TNG aired in the format aired now at the start, I mean, it wouldn't. I doubt it would have even lasted its first season. People wouldn't tolerate season one of TNG now. As a new show, mm-hmm. you know, you hear about shows that just don't make it out of the yeah. first season. I mean, it, because, it wouldn't have made it. Yeah. I mean, I think the only reason it lasted as long as it did was because it had the Star Trek name behind it, um, yeah. and it lasted long enough to get good. Um, a lot of that I would attribute to Michael Pillar. Michael Pillar's con- uh, influence on the writing room was trans transformative. I mean, yeah. y- you can attribute a lot of the quality of modern Star Trek to Michael Pillar and laterally Iris Stephen Bear, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ron Moore, even Bran and Braga, I mean, for all people rag on Bran and Braga, I mean, some of the high concept stuff was Bran and Braga. And I mean, when Bran and Braga's firing on all cylinders, he does great work when he's not. He's not. Yeah, so, well, I don't... But, you know, um, everybody don't, has their ups and downs. I don't blame him or Berman for the... Oh, God, no. And I think... The, the reduction in quality. They I, were just... They, they just shouldn't have been kept on the franchise as I long as they were the show would not have lasted as long as it did without Rick Berman. And I think a lot of times Rick Berman did more to protect, and I say this in quotes, Gene's vision than a lot of people give him credit for. And I think if you listen to what the writers say, a lot of the times it was Rick Berman that would say, no, that's not. It was Rick Berman that would say no to things because Gene wouldn't approve of it. So to be fair, I mean, obviously he was putting that through the lens of the way he interpreted what Gene would have wanted. And, you know, that's never going to be 100% reliable. But I think his intentions were positive. And I've never liked the way Berman or Braga, for that matter, get attacked by fans. And funnily enough, now it's not Berman and Braga. Now we're praising Braga and he's on the Orville and, oh, proper Star (laughs) Trek again. It's like, you know, 10 years ago you were slamming this guy because his Star Trek was terrible. And now you're like... Singing his praises. Meanwhile, you're slanging J.J. Abrams for doing yeah. the same thing. Well, there's a. I mean, th- they're a portrait of two people that just had no more left to give. Mm-hmm. By the time Enterprise was on, I they were. So. And I think they probably was... weren't there because they wanted to be there. They were there because the network kept them on. And well, the thing um, is, they wanted to approach the series very differently than the network yeah. let them. I mean, they want. They didn't even want the ship to. They didn't even want them to leave Earth until I think the end of the first season. The whole yeah. the whole first season to be about building the ship. Yeah. What an amazing idea that would have been! I mean, yeah, and then, I mean, and that would not have been episodic storytelling. No, that would have been an arc. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they had much. They had some good ideas for that, which you know the network wouldn't let them do it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And uh, Braga had the idea of making a 
um, Year of Hell uh, season long arc. Oh yeah, no, which that was he was phenomenal. he was vetoed from doing that yeah. because and not have a reset at the end of it. Yeah, which would have been because it would have been too different. You know, it would have been just uh, which is a shame. And I think yeah, you can't really blame them for writing Star Trek for what twenty no, years. And I mean, then, you know, a lot of the time it was the network that had demands on them. So you know, I think yeah. I think fans are often unfair to them. I, yeah. I, I don't think they're perfect. And I think they made their share of mistakes, but. You know, they're mistakes. They're making a TV show. It's and not. I don't think they should be writing Star Trek anymore. I don't think they've got anything new to tell us. Probably not. You know, because Braga did that comic series, which was mm. a Borg thing, and it was like, you know, it's in the future, the okay. Borg have taken over and all that stuff. And it's like... Actually, nah, this is okay. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't know how much influence he had on that story, to be honest. No, he, he did write it, though, so, you know... Did he? Um, yeah. I thought he was involved in writing it, but I don't think he was the only writer on it. And that um and that comic had the you know the Borg were hiding in the Mutara Nebula which yeah. doesn't exist and you know it was nonsense, but um again they'd written Star Trek for twenty years so they were just churning out the same old stuff because yeah given it all you know story by Brandon Braga script by Terry Metalis and Travis Pickett all right so okay. he only contributed the story fair enough which was bad enough <laughs> you know but. Well. I thought it was okay. But again, some of my favourite Star Trek episodes were written by Brandon Braga. You know, the cause and effect, that was him, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. That's a really interesting, mind-bending episode. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Um, Threshold. Threshold's a Voyager episode. That's and pretty First terrible. Contact, the movie. He wrote yeah. it with, you know, Ron Murray. Yeah. And that's and, a favourite. Yeah, and the TNG finale. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all good things. So yeah, it has a legacy. So um, they have a legacy, and they should be proud of what they did. And yeah, I'm but sure they are. It's weird. It's Star Trek's this progressive franchise, but the fans are anything but. Sometimes I know that's a shame. Yeah, just we've got Discovery soon. We should be excited. I'm excited. Two weeks. I'm excited. Two weeks. Two weeks today, as of when we're recording this. And we've got Netflix. Woo, Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> good times. So. Uh, I think uh, this has been a long podcast. and this has been uh, a long podcast. But how else can you really talk about 30 years of TNG? I mean, it's... Indeed. It's, it's bigger than all of us. And, that's true. And I think we've given it a fair shake, I would say. I think that's I fair think to say. Have. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to wrap up on before I beam you back? I guess not. I mean, for me, it was... As a show, it was transformative. I mean, it's probably, to this day, my fav- still my favourite TV show. And, you know... There are better shows out there. I mean, probably shouldn't say Battlestar Galactica is probably a better show, but I prefer TNG. It's still one of my favourites. It's my go-to. It's um, it's like a comfortable blanket. Yeah, I think it's unfair <laughs> to compare Battlestar Galactica. Oh, totally. I mean, because... it's a different thing. I mean, it's like it's like trying to compare. Um, I don't know. Um, um, Xena to. Um, Buffy Game of Thrones <laughs> yeah Xena to Game of Thrones yeah I think um, apples and oranges yeah you wouldn't have Battlestar if you didn't have TNG though. oh god no Battlestar especially if, like, if you look at it on well, a macro level you've got Ron Moore the like lessons say, he learned working on these shows absolutely and yeah. like I say TNG made sci-fi more acceptable to the mainstream and you, if that wasn't the case you would not have gotten a reboot of Battlestar Galactica and it certainly wouldn't have been the show we got yeah so we should be grateful, you know. And Absolutely. It is a show I'll probably watch throughout my entire lifetime. I I'll know. Buy, 
I'll buy the 4K re-release. I'll buy the holodeck re-release. Yeah. I'll buy, you know, I'll buy the yeah. the brain chip re-release. It's it's going to keep taking my money until <laughs> uh, I die. Yeah, it takes my money all the time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's to be celebrated. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Mine I love too. it. Revisit it all the time. It's my favorite franchise of all time. It's part of it. It's a yeah. huge part of it. It's an important part of it. It's probably the linchpin. You know, if you didn't have TNG, you wouldn't have anything else. And yeah. even even original series might be forgotten by now if it wasn't for it. You know, but yeah, and I think you know we could live in a very different universe had uh, we got in Star Trek Phase Two instead of Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yeah, and to be fair, we wouldn't have most. We wouldn't even have the spin-offs we got if it hadn't been for um, Ratha Khan and Nick Mayer. I mean, yeah. he made Star Trek successful again. If Star Trek Two hadn't been successful, we would never have had any of those spin-offs. Maybe we'd be looking at just a, you know, we might be getting a complete reboot of the Star Trek franchise now. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. on television with. Yeah. Yeah, with whoever is Someone Captain Kirk. And... Oh, let's try the Star Trek thing again. But yeah. you know, it certainly wouldn't have the continuity and history behind it that the current with a, with a gender bent Sulu, you know, with know, a gender bent Sulu, probably. <laughs> Yeah, something I don't else. know why I pick on Sulu specifically. Something else to upset George Decay. <laughs> oh no, my Captain my Sulu was never gay. It's like, give oh, her, how do you know Sulu wasn't bisexual? Give her a break. Also, if you watch Star Trek Beyond, it's not clear that Sulu's gay. But it's not clear that Sulu's gay. <laughs> it's clear that but he knows someone know who has a little we, girl. Even if that's the case, and he's in a same-sex relationship, that does not mean he's gay. It could mean he's no. bisexual. Yeah, it's twenty-third century, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing TNG fails on, just as a last thing. Uh, it it fails to introduce gay characters, and it's still not something that's been done. It kind of skirts... Well, they're doing it in Discovery. Yeah. <coughs> it kind of so, As of this around. date, it hasn't been done. It skirts around it a little bit. And, I mean, there was certainly a drive to try and do it, but they just... I don't know. They really missed the boat on that. Uh, and I think it's one of the areas where they just weren't progressive enough. Yeah. But, you know, others may disagree. I'm sure. Well, others do disagree. Yeah. Um, if you listen to some of the comments about Star Trek Discovery, but um, I suppose uh, the closest would be Dax, who was at best bisexual. Yeah, because of the virtues of oh, her. Yeah. her um, I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, Jonathan Frakes, the episode "The Outcast," which was yeah. kind of touching on homosexuality and kind of touching on transgenderism, I guess. I mean, Frakes had said all along they should have cast a man in that role instead of a woman, and yeah. Yeah, I think that's that would have been good. Um, but, you know, again, they just weren't quite gutsy enough on that. Maybe it's because they just, I don't know, maybe they thought, you know, we're not gutsy enough to do that with science fiction, whereas, you know... It's kind of too soon, isn't it? You know. Um, well, I don't think it was. I mean, or maybe, having said that, if you, if you I think that's what the they thought. Period, maybe. In the 80s, there was 30-something was on TV, and I remember they got a huge backlash for just having a scene with two men in bed. Just yeah. sitting there talking, and you know, networks, you know, sponsors pulled out, and there's all sorts of. Horrendous. I mean, Thirty Something was a very successful show, and that was very gutsy. And then, LA Law, LA Law had same sex, but although it was two women, relationship in it, or at least a flirtation with it. Um, you know, it was so it wasn't it wasn't a lot of that going on, I guess. And TN, and I think. The time to do it was probably around about the middle of TNG, and they just missed that boat. And then, yeah, and the rumor was that Malcolm might be gay and Enterprise. Yeah, and I don't think that was ever really seriously considered. If any, you know, but yeah, I don't know. 
I've not ever seen anything official backing that up. Neither it's have just, I. Yeah. And there was talk about Hawk and First Contact being gay, but again, none of that was ever. Which was fleshed out in the books. It was fleshed out yeah. in the books, but there was never anything concrete saying that he was that that was the intention in the movie. Not in the film, no. 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 Um, so yeah, Discovery will do that and solve that problem, which makes, weirdly, Star Trek latest to the party for that. Indeed. Yeah. But, you know, at least they're there. You can only be so progressive, I suppose. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting to you about Indeed. TNG. It's been, uh, the time has absolutely flown in. Um, I've enjoyed it. Uh, continuing to enjoy it. And it makes me want to go back and watch it from the beginning again. Yeah, I would go and watch them tonight, but I think I'll be watching The Expanse yeah. instead. <laughs> I'll get about three episodes in and decide, oh no, this is, uh, this is rubbish. <laughs> For TNG, I haven't seen The Expanse yet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would get halfway through naked now and be like, Ugh, turn this off. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not watching <laughs> naked now. <laughs> yeah. I'd be surprised if I ever watch that again. Uh, you will at some point, guaranteed. When they when they uh, give you the the 4K hollow re-release. Well, that, maybe. I suppose I did re-watch it when um, it came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, there you go. The next release you'll end up watching it. The sense around whatever you... The smell-o-vision release. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. I don't really want to smell naked now, it feels like... No, I suspect that's probably not such a good idea. <laughs> so, yeah, on that note, if you'll step on the transporter pad, I will beam you Okey back dokey. to where you came from. So, thank you for coming on. Uh, apologies from back. Sandy, who had some uh, technical issues and had to uh, had to eject his warp core. Or something. I was trying to go for some technobabble excuse, but... I feel, that's okay. Yeah. He has a problem with the phase inducers. There we go. Whatever those do. They they induce phase. phase. They induce phase. That's what they do. Yes. So, um, thank you again. And to you. Uh, and energising. So, that was our extended discussion of Star Trek The Next Generation in honour of its 30th anniversary. We hope you've enjoyed it and that you feel we've done it justice. Thanks to YouTubers Captain Meatshield and Samo Studios for the music you've heard here. If you like what you heard, then don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, YouTube or any major podcasting app. And join us on the next Kneel Before Pod.